Welcome to Conversation Pace. I'm your host, Brian Rossetti. In episode 22, I spoke with legendary high school coach Dan Green of the Woodlands, Texas. Coach Green was responsible for 16 Texas state championships in cross country and track, and many individual state champions, record holders, and national champions, too. He is now the head coach and founder of Team Green Running, a developmental running club based in the Woodlands, Texas. He manages his club athletes on VDOTO2. I grew up watching the Woodlands dynasty from afar, so I was excited to finally connect with the man that built this program from scratch back in 1978. That's what I was most interested in discovering. There's so many successful programs across the country that rely on VDOT training, and Jack was similar to Coach Green in how he took a program at Cortland and turned them quickly into a powerhouse for many years. We often emphasize workouts. We want to understand the secret training formula, but with Coach Green, I was most interested in his ethos and how he developed the program and culture at the Woodlands. Besides an understanding of sound training philosophy, how do you build a program from scratch and build a winning culture that remains unbeatable for over two decades? There are a lot of great lessons in here. Hope you enjoy this conversation. Dan Green, welcome to the show. It's a, it's a pleasure and an honor to be here. <laughs> How's it going there where you are? You're based in Woodlands, Woodland, Texas. Texas. Mm-hmm. And how's the weather there these days? Well, uh, it's been really hot. And um, yesterday or the day before, temperatures started dropping. And we got down into the very low 40s, high 30s in places today with the winds blowing about 16 to 20 miles an hour. So the kids running their district cross country meets today. Uh, on the one hand, it was a treat. On the other hand, it was quite a surprise. <laughs> well, what has the season been there? How has it been uh, changed? How is it different this year? Was it a shortened season or did they just start late? Did they have to squeeze? You know, they, uh, they did. They, they, in Texas, they, the season was cut back a little bit. It was, you know, just due to things opening up. And then the UIL, the University Interscholastic League that um, governs all sports in high school, they said that teams could have meets with only eight schools participating. And when you finished uh, a race, that team, for example, your varsity team, had to exit the premises and then bring the other, you know, the next team in. So, for example, the Nike South, which normally services about 2,500 to 3,000 kids, well, there were eight teams there, 56 kids. Well, they let them run 10 on a team, so 80 kids. And um, so what uh, Juris, my, my younger son that's the head coach at the Woodlands, who puts that meet on, what he did was he had a separate freshman JV and varsity meet on Friday night, Friday evening, and then had the big varsity, you know, your better JVs and your better freshmen the next day. And um, the kids warmed up in various areas other than the park where they race and the buses where kids would get through at the race, they would be, they'd have a few minutes to cool down. And then they would be um, put on the bus, take the kids back, get the JV team, bring them up there. But they could have JV 
boys and girls on the premise at the same time. But um, it's it's created, you know, for the state where they used to qualify four teams out of district to go to regionals, three out of regionals to go to state. Now, it, I mean, four out of regionals. Now it's it's uh, only two teams out of district, only three teams out of regionals to go to the state meet. And the state meet's been moved from a Friday, from a Saturday race to a Monday Tuesday with three of the classifications going on Monday and the other three okay. classifications on uh, Tuesday. So when is the state meet? The state meet is, um, dang, you asked me that. All right, so it's Monday week, not in this, but the Monday after is regionals. And then the following Saturday is um, not, is the state meet. Generally it's the second weekend in March. Okay. I mean, not March. Yeah, November. March, November. Yeah. Uh, and so it will just be a, a smaller state meet. So, you know, right. more, more space, I guess, for the, the top it will, team. It, it, it will look a lot like what it looked like when, um, when I was coaching, because we only took two out of district and, and two out of region, and then they went to three. And uh, it was, uh, you know, um, pretty exciting to get out sometimes, you know, especially if you were in a district that had three or four really good teams, which we did have back in my day, Kingwood and, and, and the Woodlands or McCullough back in that day. I mean, we were one, two in the state uh, through the yeah. 80s, 90s pretty much every year. So it was tough. How big was participation when you first started? What year was that compared to now in the sport? I first started, my first uh, one was uh, 72. I think it was 72. And um, they only had two divisions, A and B. The big schools were in the A division and everybody else was in the B division. Now that thing is so, <laughs> I mean, it's, it really is. You, you, you could get a little bit claustrophobic out there. There's so dang many kids. And there's uh, six classes now, right? Six. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and, and it's really 12 because you got six boys and six girls. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I will talk a little bit about the Woodland geographically, just so the listeners know where you're located in, in Texas and um, and what's, what's it like from a runner's perspective in terms of training? Well, um, the Woodlands, Texas is a subdivision that was created by George Mitchell back around 1975. And um, George Mitchell at that time, I think was the third wealthiest man in America. And um, he had great vision and insight. He was an oil man. And um, he had just a, a, a huge plan for the Woodlands and uh, bringing in a regional mall, you know, and bringing in all sorts of industry and it's and it's diverse, but basically it's upper middle class. Yeah. And um, so the the community when I got here had about I don't know fifteen thousand, and now it's up over a hundred thousand. And wow. um, it's really um, <laughs> it, it's kind of like, well, I mean it's like a mecca for running for runners. Uh, most of the parents are you know, uh, college educated, they like running. There are hundreds of miles of concrete, but concrete bike paths, hike and bike paths 
throughout the woodlands. The mm. only thing we don't have here is uh, a system of hills. Some of the wow. parks have hills that we train on, but it, it's pretty flat. Um, this um, summer was a really warm summer for us. Typically, temperatures uh, at 6 or 6.30 in the morning in June, July, August, September range between 80 as a high to 75 as a low with 95 to 100% humidity, which is a sauna. This yeah. year, the humidity was a little lower. It was like 85 to 90, but we were 80 to 85 degrees at that time of the morning, and it was really difficult. So that's, um, you know, like Arizona, uh, yeah. you, have to, you have to make a few adjustments for that sort of thing. Certainly going out to run at 3.30 in the afternoon to do your main workout, you've <laughs> got to be very careful with that that you don't get kids overheated and dehydrated, you know, especially in the long run. Um, so and you, you guys are just north of Houston by how much? How we much? are about, uh, about 38 miles from downtown Houston, right off of I-45, 200 miles south of Dallas off of I-45. And how much have you been affected by some of the big rains in the last several years? <laughs> the last hurricane that came through here, I had 52 inches at my house wow. <laughs> that I recorded. So I know it was more than that because my gauge filled up, you know. But Jeez. I've had um, I've had a couple of trees fall in the house or on the house, and um, you know it, it's it's just the nature of where we live. If we lived in Northern California, we would be suffering from the wildfires yeah. and and the earthquakes. You know, um, if we lived up around uh, Wichita, <laughs> you know, we'd be hit by tornadoes. You know, at, at certain times of the year, so. We don't have to worry about flash floods very much. We certainly don't have to worry about ice or blizzards or being snowed in. But yeah. we, do, we do have to deal with rain. You know, a 10-incher here is is nothing to ride home about. It's just, I mean, we get it and it drains and we're good, you know. And the and the humidity, so in terms of training, funny runners always say, you know, what's what's harder, humidity or altitude? Many will say humidity. Um where is usually where's the state meet usually is it always in one place is it pretty humid is everyone pretty much dealing with the same factors it is well those of us in south texas texas is you know you people yeah. are tired of hearing this but it's an incredibly large state and uh, i think from beaumont to el paso is like 900 miles um but um so we have a very diverse diversity in in weather but people in in south texas have to deal with humidity. Now, I've done both, and I can tell you that both affect performance. The difference between humidity and altitude, at altitude, you go out and overrun yourself. In 15 or 20 minutes, you've got your breath back. You're good to go. In a, humid, in, in a high humidity situation, heat and humidity, you go out and run, and you overdo yourself, and you may not be right for a week or two because it just tears your body up, you know, the hydration yep. aspect of it. And it just, it's just really, really difficult. But we, you know, with these Ironman races that they have around, we have one in the woodlands, Ironman, Texas. And uh, so it's brought a lot of physiologists down here and they've done a lot of study for that stuff. And I'm just going on record to tell you, anybody that does those things got to be a little bit crazy. But um, 
they found that humidity is pretty much, uh, you, you, you get pretty much the same benefit uh, from hemoglobin that you do at altitude. You know, your red blood cell count uh, gets, gets greater in it. Now the difference is you just have to do it properly, you know? Yeah. You be smart with the, especially dealing with kids, but you just have to be smart in how you train them. Yeah. So talk a little bit about your background coach, just in terms of growing up and, and first how you got into running. You know, I, I can tell you for a fact, I'm probably the most blessed guy on this earth um, and, and non-deserving. But I, I just uh, was a little boy from Pearland, Texas, which is on the south side of Houston. And my dad was a postman. He had an eighth grade education. My mom had a 10th grade education, but she went back to school and got a master's degree and was a longtime elementary school teacher. So I didn't have a lot of role modeling as far as sports were concerned. My dad wasn't a sports person. He's just a hardworking, you know, a blue collar type person. And um, so I got into Pearland High School. It's very small and I was very small, but I played all the sports, football, basketball, and, and, and track. And my senior year, um, I ran like 51 for 51-1 for 400 meters. We didn't have a track or anything like that. And my, college, my, my uh, high school football coach was an All-American at OU and he was a walk-on. And we were sitting in a study hall one day and he said, hey, you're going to run track in high school? I mean, in college. And I said, nah, track coach doesn't think I'm fast enough. He said, oh, bull, you want to run? I said, yeah. He said, I'll take you down there. So he got an appointment with Johnny Morris, who was the head coach at that time at University of Houston, and took me down there on a Saturday. And, and um, I tell you, there's a couple of times I wanted to quit. But Coach Davis, my football coach, told Coach Morris, he said, I'll buy you a steak dinner if this guy doesn't letter for you before he graduates. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I got a letter, I got two letters in cross and two letters in track. And in that process, I met the great Al Lawrence, who was an Olympic bronze medalist in 1954 in, uh, oh, 52, 56 in uh, Sydney, Australia in the 10,000. He was an um, um, assistant coach at that time at University of Houston. And we stuck, struck up a friendship and he started training me. And, and uh, my best friend at the time was a, a teammate named Leonard Hilton, who made the 72 Olympics in the 5,000 with Prefontaine mm. and um, two-time USA mile champion. And, you know, I just kind of got caught up in all that stuff. And um, so I was at school and um, I really, I was into running. I wasn't into coaching and I, I got a job at, Pearland High School, the school I graduated from, and we had a long lunch period, and I had a conference period after lunch, so I would do workouts uh, <laughs> in that time, and a football coach saw me, and he told me, he said, I'll give you $500 if you'll coach track. Well, <laughs> this is this is no lie. My yearly salary at that time was $6,000 a year. It was $500 a month, so that was an extra month of money, and that was big for me. So I said, you got it. And that I just got in. And when, uh, when did you start getting in? So you went to, to college and ran, but you had only run the 400. When did you start to get more into to distance? <laughs> as soon as I got to college, um, yeah. I was blessed in that my first year, my, my freshman year, uh, universities were still under the rule that only 
sophomores, juniors, and seniors could be on a varsity. If you mm -hmm. were a freshman, you had to participate on a freshman team, which gave me a year, you know, and I ran everything. I ran a four by one, I ran a uh, uh, four by four, ran the open 400. Well, Al knew that I wasn't that fast. I ran like 49.5, I think that year. And he knew that wasn't gonna cut it, especially in Texas. So he <laughs> bumped me up to the 800. And gotcha. I ran, you know, 158. And it was like, oh, wow, you know, I'm a, I'm a killer. I might, even, I might not even make a high school team with that today. But the, <laughs> at, at that time, it was big business for me. And um, so then I'm, I actually ran a couple of open miles when, um, before I graduated. And then Al, under his tutelage, he had me running road races and stuff. And actually, I, I won the first Houston Marathon in 1972. Wow. But it's not like it is today. You know, I mean, if you were to see pictures of that finish line, it didn't look like a, a small high school um, track meet. It's just a couple of standards up there with finish written on it. No shoot, you know. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so in that process, I got into coaching a cross-country group. And then I was hooked. So okay, so once once the football coach gave you that little bonus to coach yep. track, you had already gotten into distance at that point. So you were right. Uh, but in terms of of understanding how to coach that distance or distance events, where were you at? So at that point, you had run a marathon, right? Um, and I had run, you know, with. with um, Leonard Hilton for, for many years. And Lynn was a 5,000 meter runner, Olympian and a, um, you know, two time U S mile champion. And, um, and then Al was a distance runner. And so I started to, to develop a, a thirst. And uh, so I started reading and, you know, it's not like it is today. You, you had to work to get information back then. <laughs> you couldn't get on the web, you know, I mean, seriously. So, I coached the first year I was there uh, that I coached cross country. We got uh, fourth in state and then I went to Clear Lake. And um, so I was coaching football and doing track. And um, one of the guys on the team who is now a, um, the head of the chemical engineering department at uh, University of Wisconsin at Madison, Dr. Jim Rollins, he and I came back on the bus and he was very emotional because he had just got beaten out of going to the regional meet. And so I told him, if, if you'll train all summer, I'll quit coaching football and I will uh, work with you guys this summer and I'll coach cross country. Well, that's pretty brazen of me because they had a cross country coach who was <laughs> head football, who was the head track coach, but I knew him well and I, I didn't think he would care. So I took a $2,000 pay cut. I was making 12. So I took a $2,000 pay cut, picked up an extra academic class to coach cross country for free. So that <laughs> year, we, we, uh, the next year we got third in state. And then the following year we got second in state. And then the next year I came to the woodlands and we only had grades nine, 10 and then nine, 10, 11, and then nine, 10, 11, 12. And so, in uh, 1979, I think it was, I had um, a state cross country champ. And it was two miles at that time. He broke the state record, ran 927. And that's still the record today because we run 5,000 meters. Well, the <laughs> next year, 
He came back at 5,000 and won. He was the first two-time state title back-to-back winner. And our team was fourth. And uh, the, the year, he, the first year that he won was the only year I didn't get a team to the state meet. We won 30, sta- uh, 30 district championships in 31 years. We won 26 state uh, regional titles. We were second twice and third twice in 30 years. And we won 15 state titles in 30 years. And we were second six times, third twice, and fourth three times. Wow. So you you had success. Once you got into coaching, the success, it sounds like it came pretty quickly. There was no, you know, building a program. I mean, is, is that true in it general? It was at Pearland. At Pearland, they had nothing. And, and so it, it came up there pretty quick. But the kids were hungry and they worked hard and I was running with them. And so I've always, for one reason or another, I've always seemed to connect with most of the athletes that I work with. And um, they just caught fire. And then I went to Clear Lake. Well, they had a team, but it wasn't very good. And they knew they weren't very good. They were, you know, doing things that they shouldn't, you know, on runs. They'd go out and smoke a joint somewhere or, you know, they're just screwing around. And so when I started, I didn't put up with any of that bull. I, I'd kick them off the team. I'd bust them with it. You know, we, we could still paddle back in those days. I'd give them a swat. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't. I didn't. I mean, it, we were serious business. And I tell you, for 38 years of cross-country coaching, I was at the high school every weekday, except for the first two weeks in July, for every week of the summer for 38 years. So I didn't give them a postcard and say, mail me something and tell me how you're doing. I was out there running with them. I was, I was with them every workout. So yeah. were there no were there no rules or guidelines on out of season at that point or or well, Texas divides athletics into two types. Yeah. There's team sports and individual sports. Team sports have team regulations like, you know, the football team can't practice as a football team. Kids can go to different camps, but no more than four or something like that. There's a finite number of kids from the same school can go to a camp. In individuals, they, they don't care. It's just an individual sport. So we could train. You know, we, you can't train on Sunday. But we, we could train as much as we wanted to train. And, and the truth of the matter is, nobody really cared. You know, back in those days, nobody really cared. Now now people are starting to catch fire and they're starting to work a little bit. And, um, and, and that's a good thing for the kids, I think, as long as the coach is doing, you know, doing it right. Yeah, so there you've got a bunch of motivated kids. You feel like you really researched, you know, how to coach or how to train distance athletes, and then you worked them all year, right? I mean, those three things right. stand out to me. I, so. I, um, I went to the second level two coaching school mm-hmm. that uh, the USATF offered. I met Dr. Joe Vigil. And we became great friends and we're still friends today. He's like a mentor to me. He's like a mentor to about half the coaches in the United States that are any good. And um, so after I got my level two certification, of course, I, I went to every clinic I could go to. I had 12 guys qualify at that time. 
uh, 13, I think, before it's over with, uh, guys qualify for the Foot Locker National Championships. And I trained two girls that qualified three times. Um, so I would go to those meets. I would find the great coaches, Joe Newton, Ben LaNana, when yeah. he was at Dartmouth at, those at, at that time, and Max Mayo. I, I would just sit down and, and, and just uh, pick their brain. The first time I went, I told my ex-wife, I said, I, I got to go back every year. I got to go back. I, I, I learned so much, you know, and um, I I'm, went to, I have an IAAF level five uh, certification. So I've, I've put myself in every learning opportunity that I could. And I have borrowed and stolen workouts and philosophies <laughs> and, and sayings from, from the successful coaches all over the world. And, you know, there's no excuse, in my opinion, for a coach not to have a good team because I don't know of many coaches at all successful ones that aren't willing to share, to help you, to talk to you. You know, I've had, I, I can't tell you the number of, of coaches that give me a call and want me to meet with them and help them set up their program or have me look at their program. You know, not enough to be honest with you. And I'm not saying that to be arrogant, but yeah. there are a lot of young coaches out there that need some help. And the thing that they don't have is experience. They got great education for the most part, but experience goes a long way in this business. Well, in, in anything in life, for that matter. Yeah. So talk talk a little bit about um, when you get to the woodlands. How quickly do you guys all of a sudden start winning the state meet and and stay get into this consistent success that you had? So I came in there in '76, and like I said, we we didn't have a varsity, but mm. we had two grades but I still put them in the varsity, <laughs> you know, <laughs> now this is cross country, of course. And, uh, we got four the next year moved up in the varsity. Again, we missed third place by one point. We didn't get to go to regionals. So we had a really good come to Jesus talk, uh, after that workout and we didn't lose. That was 1970, let's see, 76, 77, 1978. We, we won in 78. And we didn't lose another one to 1990, um, 1991, I think it was. And um, no, 1990. And uh, we came back, then I didn't lose another district championship for the rest of my tenure there. And we won our first state title. We were fourth, and we were sixth in um, 79, fourth in 70, in 80. And then we won our first district title, I mean, state title in 81. And we had to go against uh, Edinburgh High School, good friend of mine, uh, coaching there. Um, he had six back off the state championship team. And we killed them. We won <laughs> by one point. <laughs> and they didn't have the computers. So we had to sit there for like two hours while they figured out who was what and when. But, um, you know, um, then we won in 81. 82. Then my top guy got the flu in 83 and, and he ran, but he was 25th. He, he had fever on Thursday before the race on Saturday and the fever broke on Friday and his parents said, let him run. Bill Gardner, who coaches at Bartlett High School now in Tennessee and Memphis. Anyway, um, 
if Bill had been healthy, we might have won, but we lost by 10. And uh, then we won 84, 85, 86, 87, got killed in 88. I think we got sixth. Then we won 89 and 90. And then my good friend from MacArthur High School won 91, 92. And then the great Zoe Simpson from Kingwood High School took it 93, 94, 95, 96, 97, 98 before we popped them again in 99 and 2000. So, wow. you know, it was, a, it was a deal going back and forth. And, you know, um, I get this thing in the mail, and I think it's about 2004. I get this thing in the mail, and it said, you've been selected as National Cross Country Coach of the Year. And I thought it was one of those things that, you know, you're going to put my name in a book, and you're going to sell me the book for $50. <laughs> So I didn't really think anything about it. And it said, you'd be receiving an award in two weeks. And sure enough, in two weeks, I get this really nice um, little figurine thing. National High School Cross Country Coach of the Year. Well, I was really excited about that. Well, then about 07, um, they said, athletic director called me and said, you're up for uh, National Coach of the Year. And I said, I'm not getting this because I already got one and they're not giving it to me again. So he said, well, you're the regional one now. And I said, He said, I really think you're going to get it. I said, don't even worry about it, Bobby. There ain't no way that's happening. Well, I'll be damned. I did. I don't know how I did. But one of them was the uh, High School Coaches Federation, and the other was, um, I forget now exactly its title. But, you know, I I was, I've just been blessed like that. I didn't know they did stuff. I I mean, I wasn't even thinking about that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then then in 06, I get a call, and they said, Hey, you've been selected to be the World Cross uh, junior coach. Mm. And uh, I thought, really? Yeah. Okay. So I got to go to Fukuoka, Japan with the world junior team. And what it was a hell of an experience. And then in 2010, I got to go, I got to be the senior men's coach. And uh, on that trip was Dr. Dave Martin, incredible physiologist, great coach in person. And I had an opportunity to hang out with him the whole time that we were in Big Dosh, Poland. And, you know, I've just been blessed to get stuff I didn't even know, I didn't even think about, you know. Um, I just, I get too busy working with my little puddle. I don't realize what's going on sometimes in the outside world, you know. But yeah, it, it's, it's, a, it's a world of itself and it's, it's consuming. And I've been told that I, I don't have boundaries, <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not sure what a boundary is, but when one of my kids, my athletes uh, that that have given me their time and effort when they need me, um, there's no question that I'm going to be there. And I don't care if it hair lips anybody. I mean, it's 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 just a bond, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So w- talk about um, when you won your first state title, how big was the team? How, how many athletes? Oh, we had about 30 kids. I'm going to tell you, this is a funny story. It's a true story. I mean, a lot of people are not going to like this story because it's brutal. But so I came in, come into this school and we only have two grades. And, and I wasn't in the uh, junior highs or anything like that. I came outside to come in here. So I had no list of names. I had no programs in the junior highs, you know, to get it started. And um, so I had a couple of kids that volunteered to come out and they were running with me and, and I hooked them. They were, they were in there good. And I said, okay, guys, we got to have seven guys to make a team. So there's four of you. So this, is, the, one, this is at the Woodlands. This is at the Woodlands. It's called McCullough back in those days. This is in 1976. Okay. I said, every one of you has to bring a guy. And this is about four weeks into the school. Cause we'd already 
run off all the ones that were pretenders, you know? And uh, I said, um, Monday, each one of you has to bring a friend. Just bring them one time, let them see what it's like, and see if I can hook them. So this really good, my, my best guy, Robert Slode, he is now the headmaster at Audi International School and has had state championship cross-country teams, an, an incredible teacher. Um, he was kind of like my captain. And so I get ready for a little meeting and we're having a little meeting and I see this little guy standing at the door. He wasn't little. He was about five foot tall and about six foot around. I bet he weighed 250. And um, I said, I called Robert. I said, Robert, who's this guy at the door? Oh, he said, that's, that's Tim Hall. I said, what's he doing here? He said, that's my guy. I said, Robert, you can't <laughs> run cross country. You get him out there, he's going to die. He said, yeah, but I ain't getting a SWAT. Oh, no. So, uh, Tim became the manager and did a, an incredible job and had a lot of personality. And, and he was just really a, a good kid. But that, that's how we started that stuff, you know, wow. just having to get him out there. So then the next year, I would go over in January and February to the junior high. We only had one junior high. And I told the PE teacher, I said, look, I'm going to have a little all-comer race. And I had a bunch of old extra medals. I go over there and put on a little mile run, you know, and they'd run a mile. Well, I'd get all their names and phone numbers. And then in the summer or going into the summer, I would call them before they got out of school and invite mm. them to come and run. So I'd, I'd have like a legal pad, you know, sheet full. And I'd get about three or four out of that, but I was getting three or four. Well, the football and basketball coaches got wise to me and they realized that I was, I was getting some of the athletes out of there to come to cross country. So all of a sudden that group of people that were coming out to run for me were about four foot tall and about 25 pounds, or they were about five foot five and weighed about 300 pounds, but none of them were ever going to be cross country runners, you know? So I went to, we would, I went to doing a 12 minute walk and run. And uh, I did that for a number of years and it got so bad that, um, I mean, kids were doing, you know, 12 minutes, they were doing three laps and it's like, Oh, geez, I got to quit doing that. It's depressing me. And, um, you know, it, the, the after school stuff wasn't working. So I would take a personal day and then I would go over to the junior high and I'd tell the junior high coach, I got your classes for today. Take the day off. And that, and then I'd take them out there and well, after that 12 minute run got so poor, I just would bring them in the gym. I would show them slides because we didn't have the neat media stuff that you have today. I'd show them slides of the kids running and the parties wow. and stuff that we had, you know, and, um, and it, you know, we'd hook a few like that. And then we got a program in the junior high. So when I left, I had the most I ever had, I think was 58, uh, in the class. Juris has over a hundred now. And, uh, but it was cool being that small because every Tuesday in cross country, the first Tuesday, we would go to a park across the street. The freshmen would be, bring the weenies. The sophomores would bring buns. The juniors would bring, you know, Gatorade to drink for everybody. And the seniors would bring chips and condiments. And so they would run. I'd fire up that barbecue pit. I brought the chili and I brought the um, charcoal. And I'd get that barbecue pit going and I'd get those dogs. And so they'd all come over and get a dog and we would play bunco. I, my ex-wife was an elementary school teacher and I borrowed dice 
that she had over there. And those kids would play. Well, I liked the bunco because when you play, uh, when you lose or win, you go to the next table, you switch partners. Mm. So each one of these kids were having to partner up with kids that they didn't normally associate with. So we would do that for about an hour and then they'd go home. Well, then the next Tuesday, I hooked a deal with the bowling alley and uh, we'd go over and we'd put four kids to a lane. And I tried as best I could to put a freshman, sophomore, junior and senior on each lane. So they'd have to bowl. And what we did there is we kept scores and um, we'd, we'd find out who the best bowlers were and who the worst bowlers were. And I'd pair them up for a tournament the very best or the very worst. And I'd get some trophies and give them a trophy for it, you know, but we just did different things like that to develop some bonding and yeah. some camaraderie with the kids off the track. We had a little guy one time, he couldn't run fast enough to scatter manure. He, but that little sucker could bowl 200 at the drop of a hat. He became the most sought after kid when we went bowling, because everybody wanted him on their team, because he was right. killing them. But he was, <laughs> yeah. But you know, it, it's um, it, it was um, a really fun time for me, and and I feel really blessed that that these athletes would allow me time in their lives. Because uh, listen, when they signed up for cross country, that's a year-round thing for four years. I mean, we and worked that, out all the time, and that's that's the way you managed it. The The expectation was that this isn't cross country in season track in season. It was a year round program. We looked at it as cross country is off season track and track is off season cross country, yeah. <laughs> you know? And honestly, we, we were, we were the second school in Texas, big school to win a state track and a state cross country title. And, and we did it in the same calendar year, not the same school year. Um, Doby High School under, under the great coach John Bryant uh, beat me to that uh, milestone. And he did it uh, in the same school year. But, you know, I didn't wanna just have good distance runners. I wanted to have good athletes. And, we didn't, I mean, we talked about the state meet, but the, the overall uh, philosophy was to teach each one how to work hard, create a, a good work ethic in there, mm -hmm. get them to make a commitment to the team, and then make the sacrifices necessary to make that commitment happen. And, you know, I was at a level five school and a coach told me one time, we're talking about commitment, sacrifice. He said, we don't like to use the word sacrifice. It's, it's got a negative connotation. And my thought to that is, how in the world do you calibrate a person's commitment if you don't have sacrifice? Sacrifice defines commitment and it shouldn't be negative. It should be a very positive thing. You're willing to do this so we can do that. That's commitment, you know? But you can't define it if you don't have a sacrifice. And, but I found in my life, a person's got a good work ethic, got commitment, and he's willing to make sacrifices to, to get the job done. That person's going to be successful in everything they do. And yeah. uh, that's, that's how we looked at it. And, you know, I, I, I lost track of it, 
But for the longest time, every cross country runner that left the Woodlands High School either ran in college for some length of time or went to the service. Every one of them. What's, yeah, I was going to ask you about post high school. Um, how did, well, I, I, I want to get into to training. I didn't mean to cut you off there. I want to oh, hear okay. that you finish, but I, I want to talk a little bit about what practices and training looked like and how, because you see a lot of successful programs and, and sometimes I think they get a bad rap and oh, yeah. people yeah. will say, yeah, but what did they do in college? You know, what did they, what did they do beyond, you know, did they burn out on the sport? Did they burn out physically, mentally, you know, emotionally in high school? Is that a good thing? You know, Jack sometimes will counter and say, well, they got a full scholarship to an amazing college. Is that such a bad thing? <laughs> you know, yeah. um, but, but in terms of people and um, it, I would like to hear, you know, how they did transition from your program. And I First think that's it's, I mean, this is a hot subject with me. Yeah. It's always the have nots, the people who <laughs> never came to a practice that you have, who yeah. want to criticize what you're doing. Now, when I first started all this stuff back in the 70s, a very successful coach told me, he said, Dan, you start to have success, you're going to have a few, a lot fewer friends. And he's exactly right. Mm. First of all, in my tenure, I had 13. Well, 12 um, uh, NCAA Division I All-Americans from track and cross country and one in an NAI school. People want to say, well, you know, that guy from the Woodlands, he didn't stay at that school very long. Well, look and see how many kids who go to college drop out or stay. Hmm. A high percentage of the youngsters that go to college the first year, they don't stay in college. You know, there's, there's a huge dropout rate. But secondly, when I get a kid out of junior high and he doesn't make it in my program, I don't badmouth the junior high coach. <laughs> That's my job. Yeah, I gave these guys uh, a, a kid that could run 407 or 411 or 412. Now, it's their job to motivate them, and it's their job to give them a program that will develop them at the next level. But that's not happening. There are very few good coaches out there. I'm, I'm just telling you, there's very few good coaches out there with a plan. There are a lot of them out there that have excuses, but not a lot of them are willing to roll up their sleeves and get in there. You know, in high school, we can't go out and recruit another kid. He's ours. We got him, <laughs> you know, and we don't have another one. We just got that next ninth grade class coming. In. Nobody's, nobody's recruiting it for us to get studs in that maybe have two years or three years left, you know? Yeah. And, and, and the hard thing is, and, and, uh, and Joe Newton got blasted with this all the time. And he said, look, it's not my job to coach in college. It's my job to coach in high school. Yeah. And a very small percentage of these kids are going to go to college to run. So why should I base my entire program on that small unit? Why not give these kids that are here, the greatest memories I can of their high school running career. And, and, and he's exactly right. But I had a college friend of mine come to me and said, you know, Dan, you, you work these guys really hard. You need to kind of back off, you know? I said, I'll tell you what, coach, when you start recruiting 450 milers, I'll back off. But the truth of the matter is, yeah. if, if I don't have a kid running under 415, if I don't have a kid running under 915, no college is even going to let him walk on. 
no division one, not one that's got a good program. So I can not train them hard, not let them run well, you know, and then they're not going to college for sure. So where would I be the worst culprit by not helping kids or giving them an opportunity to at least get to college or sitting on my butt and letting the kid never realize his potential and maybe burn out, maybe not, you know, but if they, if you don't train them, they're not going to have an opportunity to run. I looked at all kinds of programs, but back when I was rolling, one of the top programs around was University of Arkansas. Mm-hmm. And I had, we probably, the Woodlands, McCullough, the Woodlands High School, we probably have had more track athletes go to University of Arkansas than any other school. I've sent a bunch there. I've sent them to a lot of different schools too. It's not just one, but, mm-hmm. but so I looked at what John McDonald was doing and I didn't emulate what he was doing, but I looked at his percentages, right? Of, of his guys, if they're running a hundred miles a week, what percent of that is recovery running? What percent of that is long running? What percent of that is aerobic threshold running? What percent is interval? And you know what I found that my, my percentages matched his percentages a hundred percent. Now I keep, I have, I'm sitting in a room right here with every damn workout I have ever given. I've got them all written down in notebooks sitting right here labeled. Um, <laughs> and, and I'm going to tell you something in, in 2005, we got sixth in the state. I pulled out every damn book for 10 years and went back and looked at total mileage, weekly mileage, looked at every Monday and every Wednesday workout to see what had happened. Why, why did I fall apart? And, and I had gotten too soft. I'd taken out a workout. I was only having two workouts a week. So, you know, hard workouts. And so what I realized was I'm getting popped by South Lake Carroll. Those guys on that Pavo program, they're running five damn days a week. They're running hard. And um, so I put my other one in and hey, we get, we finished up winning my last three years. We won. And then my son won the first, his first two. So that program took us five state titles, you know, but what we did coach, I said, I just used an arbitrary number of 70 miles a week, 10 miles a day, but we worked out 13 times a week in Texas. We can have an athletic period. So I would work these guys out at, um, I would work them out at um, and in the morning in their athletic period. They get to school at 6:30 or 6:15, and we'd go out at 6:30, and then I'd work them out after school. So our our main on a workout day, our main workout was in the morning when it was cooler, and the afternoon was simply a recovery jog. Mm-hmm. Right? So they'd do those, and then um, they would do a. We, we called it a religious day on Monday. That, that's when they got close to God because <laughs> because they were saying, oh, God, oh, God. But, <laughs> and then Tuesday was a recovery day. And Wednesday was kind of a medium day. And Thursday was an aerobic threshold day. And Friday was a recovery. Saturday was a race. Sunday was the long run. And, um, you know, we had some injuries, uh, but we didn't have an exorbitant amount of injuries. I mean, we couldn't have, couldn't have been that successful if we didn't have that. What about strength training or emphasis on nutrition? Did did that stuff mostly just evolve? Well, you know, over the course of your career. 
Strength training. I, I had an opportunity one time to sit and talk to um, the father of uh, marathon running, uh, Arthur Lydiard. And I mentioned yeah. weights. I thought he was going to hit me in the face lifting weights, you know. <laughs> Boy, if you got time to lift weights, you got time to get your ass out on the road. Okay. All right. I won't go back into that. Now, I'm not a big one in the weight room for distance mm-hmm. runners. However, I had, when I was at my, the Woodlands, I had six pound med balls. I had five and 10 and 15 pound barbells. And after every workout, they did 50 push-ups, 50 crunches. Uh, two days a week, they did 10 chins, 10 pull-ups, 10 dips, 10 overhead ladder. Then they would, they had some drills to do with the um, med balls, you know, overhead throw, chest pass, you know, and then throwing it straight up, you know, squatting down, getting the whole body into it, throwing the ball straight up. And then they did arm pumps, you know, uh, walking 100 meters with five or 10 pound weights, um, you know, carrying it in a running form. And um, so that's the kind of strength work that we did. And that was going back when, because that that's a little bit more functional, which is. Yeah, I I was doing that. I was doing that in the 80s. (laughs) That's great. Yeah. Well, and I never really, I mean, while nutrition, I've always realized that nutrition was an important thing. I, I never talked much about nutrition because my kids didn't go to the store and buy the food and yeah. they didn't cook. And uh, so when I dealt with nutrition, it would be at a parent meeting, you know, and we would talk about things like that. Now, I did talk to the kids about we're not making lunch out of a thing of French fries and a Coke. Back in those days, you could sell soft drinks at school. And, you know, some of those kids, they'd just buy a couple of orders of fries and a Coke, and that'd be lunch. So we did talk about that sort of thing. But as far as how many carbs or how many, how much protein or fats, we didn't get into that. Yeah. And and how is Juris, has he pretty much replicated? I know he's, you know, an individual himself. Has he... Have you been able to transfer transfer this model to him, or do you feel like he still does stuff, you know, in his own way, or is it pretty much, hey, you've got the model, here it is, run with it, and he's because I mean he's continuing to have success there, right? And it doesn't strike me that the Woodlands has the best talent out of anywhere in Texas. It's you guys You're have right. figured this out. My my son is is very intelligent. He has his degree is in um, molecular biology. He never intended to be a coach. That's kind of a crazy story there. Was he on on the team with you or no? Oh, yes. He ran on two state championship teams. His brother ran on three. Wow. um, uh, He ran at Arkansas with his brother, and he married a girl from England, Catherine. And uh, they lived in England for a while. He came back and decided that he wanted to be a teacher. And uh, I, I, I uh, kind of worried about him a little bit, you know, because <laughs> his mother and his father are both teachers. And here, this knothead wants to be a teacher. Must be out of his damn mind. But he did, and he was teaching at a school in Conroe, in Conroe proper. And uh, my assistant at the time was in the Marine Reserves, and he got called up. And I wasn't going to have an assistant. Um, I, I wasn't going to have an assistant in a cross-country season. So I realized that their school configuration was later than mine and he could come and help me in the morning. So I asked him to do it. He said, okay. 
So he helped me. And then the next year I said, uh, Dennis is back, but you want to coach again this year? And he said, no. I said, what? He said, no, I don't want to do it. I said, why? He said, well, I want to coach and you didn't let me coach. <laughs> I said, okay, fair enough. You come back, you can have the freshman, you can do whatever you want with them. So he took the freshman. So when I realized that he was getting good enough that he needed to be the head coach or he was going to be a head coach somewhere. And, you know, I wanted to be at the Woodlands cause I wanted the Woodlands to have the best. And I um, moved him up to the JV my next to last year. So he was with the JVs for two years in a row. So it would be a smooth transition when he went to the, when he went to the varsity, uh, you know, when he took over the whole program. Yeah. And um, so that first year, first couple of years, he pretty much cloned what we were doing, but he put some of his own stuff in. And I realized in the first year I needed to stay away from his program because too many people saw me as the head coach. Yeah. So I, you know, kind of took a sabbatical and uh, he, um, you know, we'd contact, he'd call me and we'd talk about training and he'd tell me about his kids and I'd go to the state meet and watch them. And I'd go to the, you know, district meet and watch them, but I, I keep my distance and let him do his thing. But now that program has his own stamp on it. He's, he, he has designed it. A lot of the stuff that we did together, but he does things a little differently and his personality is different than mine. And, uh, but like his father, he has a passion for what he's doing and it's more than just running. You know, there's, there's two kinds of, uh, of teachers and coaches. There are teachers and coaches that teach a subject or an event. And there's coaches and teachers that teach children or coach athletes. Mm. And the ones that coach athletes, in my opinion, have a much greater impact on the kids and are far more successful in the long run. But, uh, you know, that's it's just an old man talking there, but I, I've just <laughs> seen it. But he works with young people. He's not just a track or cross country coach. And um, it, it's, and, and, and that's the way I was. I, like I said, you know, these kids run for you and they put in all that kind of time and, and, and they do the things they did. All they got to do is call me, you know, I, they got a marker and, and I'm there to, to uphold it whenever they need me. So fortunately not too many people have needed me. But <laughs> <laughs> Coach, thanks. Thanks for sharing today. I appreciate all your insights. Well, it, it, I'm, amazing story, amazing career. I'm flattered that, um, that you call me and, uh, I'm always uh, interested in helping, um, young coaches or anybody. Um, cause we all need help. I'm shit. I've been doing this 49 years and, and I'm still learning. I'm, I spend hours a day talking with my son or reading stuff on the internet by John, Jonathan Marcus or somebody, you know, and, and looking at different workouts because it, it it's changing. We're in a dynamic world and coaching is very dynamic. And if I try to do today, what I did in 1980, not only would I be fired in the first week, <laughs> litigation would be pending. Out <laughs> just would be, you know, but I know you got to go. Thank you for allowing me this opportunity. And I hope I didn't bore you. I'm not much of a, 
of a speaker, but I'm a hell of a talker. <laughs> no, we loved it. Thanks for sharing. Appreciate it. I've been on-